Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, June 29th, 2022, the 525th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and thank you to all of those who are listening on the day of this podcast episode's release. The only way to do that is by being a paid subscriber on I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can become a paid subscriber for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. It breaks down to less than a quarter per episode. And when I write and I post on Substack, if there is a paywall or if I put stuff out to only paid subscribers, you will get all of that immediately as well. That is the best way to consume the show and also the most helpful way to support the existence of the show and by virtue of that, the existence of me. So let's get into it. And trust me, I'm going to go through the insane January 6th stuff in the show. Don't worry that I'm not leading off with it. It's just a matter of chronology. I'm still trying to catch up a little bit with my mishaps from Monday. 
I would have covered this yesterday, but it actually works out better today. And I'll tell you why. It's because we had primary elections. And every week when we have primary elections, Wednesday morning, we have to talk about election fraud. And so that's exactly what we are going to do. Now, the results of yesterday's primaries are, let's say, a mixed bag. Trump endorsed candidates went 12 and 0. That is always a nice sign. It makes it harder for the media to pretend there is some anti-MAGA wave, but they still find their spots. They still pick their spots. They were able to push Lee Zeldin through into the governor's race in New York. Lee Zeldin is an establishment Republican communist who is the sort of spineless cretin that allows CNN to talk him into calling Donald Trump and Trump supporters racist. He's that guy. He came up with a big win over Rudy Giuliani's son, Andrew Giuliani, which is, to put it mildly, very hard to believe, even with the entire Republican establishment behind him. Another notable race last night was the Secretary of State primary in Colorado, where Tina Peters was, quote unquote, defeated by a Republican establishment plant named Pam Anderson, leaving Tina Peters in the reported results pretty far behind for someone who was leading in the polls. Now, Tina Peters is the county clerk of Mesa County, Colorado. And she is the person who had the forensic image of the Dominion systems made before and after Dominion came in to install their trusted build and in the process wipe out all their election data from 2020. That trusted build was initiated, of course, by Colorado's Soros communist secretary of state, Jenna Griswold, who has committed grave crimes against the country that she eventually will pay for. But she made a prominent enemy out of Tina Peters. And Tina Peters is one of those candidates who poses a significant threat to the Republican establishment, to the uniparty establishment and to the system of election fraud. Now, of course, all of this was being monitored and hopefully being tracked by authorities as well. But I'm saying monitored by people watching this very closely. All of the people who have been paying attention to election fraud for the last two years are laser focused on races like this, where the manipulation is going to be the most obvious because the person they're trying to keep out of office is a significant figure as Tina Peters is. So we're going to see this play out over the next few days and weeks and perhaps months as all of this unwinds and we find out exactly what happened. It's important to remember always that election fraud does not exist only to benefit Democrats. It exists to benefit the uniparty. And insofar as Republican establishment candidates benefit the uniparty, Election fraud is available to benefit them. The system exists to maintain the uniparty's grip on power always. So all of these election results must be viewed in both ways. Take them as reported. What does that mean? And then assume that the results 
are already predetermined and have virtually nothing to do with anyone voting whatsoever. And then think about what that means. From that, we can create hypotheses about where we stand in the process of fixing the election fraud, where we stand in terms of the public awareness of election fraud, the public awareness of the MAGA movement and what it truly represents outside of the media's depiction. And then we can just consider what role this plays as the narrative develops. And with all that in mind, let's go to Arizona. The shoe-in for Republican nominee for governor in Arizona was on Fox News the other night being interviewed by Brett Baer, who was the man responsible for, or at least publicly responsible, I should say. I'm sure he had no part in the decision-making process, but he was the man on Fox News who announced on election night in 2020 that the state of Arizona had been called for Joe Biden before voting had even finished there. And that was a major piece of narrative manipulation because not long before that, Florida and Texas had been called for Trump. I believe that North Carolina at that point had been called for Trump or at least looked like it was going to go for Trump. And Fox News's call of Arizona for Joe Biden actually flipped the narrative that was developing that evening on its head. And especially with that timing, it was late in the evening on the East Coast and people started going to bed. We were getting all sorts of hints that we would not get a result on election night. This is going to take a couple days. We have to see how many mail-in ballots come in and then we have to count them and then we have to get more new mail-in ballots because this isn't going to be enough. And the steel was in full swing at that point. Carrie Lake's whole interview with Brett Baer is worth watching because she is great at defending herself. And if you're not too familiar with her, it's a, uh, a good entry point, let's say. But I want to share with you how she handled the election fraud question. Just to circle back, you say that it's an illegitimate president. You say that the election was stolen. You speak a lot about this on the campaign trail, uh, talking about the 2020 election. This is the Arizona House Speaker, Rusty Bowers, uh, testifying in front of Congress last week. Anywhere, anyone, anytime has said that I said the election was rigged, that would not be true. There was no, no evidence being presented of any strength. Evidence can be hearsay evidence. It's still evidence, but it's still hearsay. But strong judicial quality evidence, anything that would say to me, you have a doubt, deny your oath. I will not do that. He's a Republican. He's a Trump supporter. And that's what he said. He's a rhino and he hopefully will be defeated. He is an absolute rhino. Karen Fan even admits there were issues with the election that it can't be certified. And here's what we have. 740,000 ballots that have no chain of custody. They cannot be authenticated and they should not have been counted. 34,000 ballots that were counted two, three and four times. People who moved who still voted in our election. There's a mountain of evidence and I wish that the corporate media would start covering it instead of putting their head in the sand and acting like it didn't happen. We know what happened here. Okay. Just because we have well, a why, rhino saying me, it didn't I understand. happen. I understand what you're saying. Um, 
the attorney general obviously has talked about this at length, uh, saying that they instructed U.S. attorneys to pursue any specific credible allegations of substantial fraud, and he found none, including using very colorful language in his testimony. I understand what you're saying, but there have been, as you know, more than 70 court cases uh, where there was not evidence and there was not any state legislature or governor that failed to certify an election, including your own Republican Doug Ducey. We did not have any court cases where the evidence was presented. We now have evidence that is admissible in a court of law, and I believe the day will come where we have that court case. We have an AG, Mark Brnovich, who has sat on a mountain of evidence and done nothing, including video evidence. We have the true the vote evidence. We have people who do not want to uncover the truth about our election. And it makes me wonder if they're afraid they really didn't win in previous elections. But don't worry, because when I'm governor, we're going to get to the bottom of it. And, you and think we will that, have honest elections. And you and think that Arizona honesty. citizens, voters, want to spend a lot of time looking at 2020 instead of looking forward from 2022 and on? I'm with them every single day. We draw record crowds. Number one issue, because they know every other issue from inflation to the a border being wide open, not being able to afford um, gas and, and groceries, all stems from this corrupt election. We want an election day, not an election month. We want paper ballots and we want to get rid of these electronic voting machines, which is why I'm involved in a federal case right now to get them banned here in Arizona. All we want, Brett, is honest elections for our children and grandchildren. We want honest elections for Democrats. Mm -hmm. independents and republicans we want to know that when we go to bed on election night when we wake up the next day we find out who won before we go to bed and we can live with that but we can't keep having elections that nobody can live with and we can't have this level of fraud anymore so i play this to point out the fact that this narrative is now being shown to fox news viewers and that's really good because fox has run interference on the election conversation for 19 months now. And as I mentioned, they were part of the narrative to convince America of the election's legitimacy and that Joe Biden really did somehow secure 81 million real legal American votes an utterly preposterous and nonsensical claim that is not backed up by evidence anywhere in the world. If it was, they would have allowed everyone to look at the evidence. But there is no evidence because Joe Biden did not win 81 million real legal American votes, and he didn't get anywhere close to it either. Now, following this interview, Carrie Lake made her way over to a hearing that was not an officially sanctioned hearing by the Arizona House or Senate because Karen Fan and Rusty Bowers did not give their blessing to the hearing, but nonetheless, a bunch of prospective Arizona candidates and some current Arizona politicians attended a hearing where Jovan Hutton Pulitzer presented his evidence of his kinematic analysis. He examined the physical ballots for their legitimacy and lawfulness. And what he found was overwhelming evidence of fraud, of course. Now, Toria Brooke on Telegram and on Truth Social went ahead and prepared a series of clips from the hearing the other night. And so I'm going to share those with you. 
and then go through some of the other Jovan Hutton Pulitzer information. These 235,367 changes were modified digitally after they were voted, and the physical paper was never inspected by hand. These ballots were held inside a synthetic time hack. In a time study, it is estimated this took 7 to 12 days of electronic suspension, which were not allowed to drop straight to the vote tally bottom line. Why were one out of eight ballots changed by human or machine? Why were the physical ballots not examined? Why send a poor digital photo of the ballots to a remote adjudication station? Over 235,000 ballots changed in the machines after they were voted. There was no inspection of the paper ballots whatsoever. And then they just held those votes in the machines for days on end before actually adding them to the vote tally. What really happened during this time? Why were the physical ballots removed from the physical review process? Were the physical ballots actually missing only to appear later in the process? 99% of all ballot batches were modified in Maricopa without anyone inspecting a physical paper ballot to confirm there was an original paper ballot scan. That's not how it's supposed to work. And that's not how we're told it works. That's not how we think it works. To even doubt that that's how it works gets you called a conspiracy theorist. We're told that we fill out our ballot, the ballot is scanned, the ballot is counted, the vote is tabulated, end of story. The machines are accurate, they're fast, they can't be hacked, they're never connected to the internet. That's what we're told. They're very, very accurate. But yet somehow, there are all these votes with no sign of an actual paper ballot behind them, at least not at the time they were voted. way to gain access to extra ballots for nefarious purposes is called ballot cracking. Maricopa County shows signs of widespread ballot cracking operations in excess of 53,866 official 2020 ballots. Ballot cracking is a technique where when the ballots are undelivered or returned undeliverable, individuals crack open the ballot, then vote the ballot inside, place it in the return envelope, and either do not sign the ballot or apply a bogus signature. If the county elections do not do signature verification, ballot cracking can go undetected. Returned as undeliverable ballots are the most susceptible to ballot cracking. When returned to the county, these ballots simply disappear. Maricopa County reported, albeit months after the election, that 53,866 ballots had been returned undeliverable. When this happens, Maricopa County workers are supposed to notify the voter that their ballot was returned within a week of the ballot coming back undeliverable. When asked to audit these records, Maricopa officials reported that these ballots had not been retained by them and that they were sent back to run back to destroy and that they actually had been destroyed. 
This is against several U.S. election codes for retention and preservation of records and papers for elections for a period of 22 months after the election. So Runbeck prints the official ballots. The official ballots get sent out. Nearly 54,000 of the official ballots that were sent out, which, by the way, is a problem with mail-in voting. 54,000 ballots sent out. They did not reach the voter whose name was attached to that ballot in the registry. Real or false, we have no idea. But they did not reach the voter. When that happens, they are meant to be returned and kept as election evidence because they are physical evidence about part of the election. You cannot throw it out. You cannot have it destroyed. They're supposed to hold them. But they didn't. And each and every one of those is a violation of law. They did it 54,000 times, which is more than five times the difference between Joe Biden's reported number and Donald Trump's reported number. Our United States has what's called a mail cover system. This is how when somebody sends anthrax to the president, you're able to track it. And our postal service, when that comes in and it goes on the conveyor belt, it snaps a front and a back photo and it's automatic. Those records are kept for six years for investigational work like we do. As soon as Runbeck ordered the machines, our United States Post Office stopped its mail cover program on April 1. It undid it from six years, changed it to 30 days, let the election run, let Biden get installed, and then turned it back on. We do not have the physical evidence trial. That's when I was telling you this is the highest levels of the government. This is how far it goes. They actually changed post office policy to enable election fraud. And you'll remember in the late summer, or maybe early fall of 2020, the communists made a big deal about how blue mailboxes in Burbank, California were disappearing. Ooh, trucks were coming and taking their mailboxes. It was all to disrupt the mail-in vote so Trump could steal the election. Donald Trump was using the post office to steal the election. They always create stories to distract from what the real issue is. If the communists are using the post office to steal elections, well, they're going to put out the story that Donald Trump is doing it so that all of the people who are addicted to the central narrative, who believe everything the television tells them, who listen to the Blue Anon community on Twitter and the little celebrities and influencers on Instagram being paid to talk about politics. Ooh, save our mailboxes. They're stealing our mailboxes. What that does is it creates a false impression about what side the Postal Service is on. Everybody immediately believes who Donald Trump, the actual president, he's using his post office to hold on to power. Except Donald Trump doesn't have any more control over the deep state bureaucracy in the Postal Service than he has over the deep state bureaucracy in the FBI. These people are just criminals. The post office was so in the tank for Joe Biden that at post offices around the country, people were busy stamping false dates on ballots, backdating the postmark. So those ballots would seem to be legal. They were mailed out on Election Day, even though they weren't. 
Post office did that. The Postal Workers Union came out in support of Joe Biden. But of course, Donald Trump was stealing everyone's blue mailboxes. Now, there hasn't been a whole lot written about this hearing, and I guess that's a little disappointing. And I could kind of just turn that on myself and say, hey, maybe you should have written it up. But there is one good write up on a website called independentsentinel.com. And because everyone's going to scream sources, I will tell you who the writer of the article was. This is how he describes himself. Mark Schwendau is a retired technology professor. He's an award-winning educator who has published seven books and numerous peer-reviewed trade journal articles, some of which can be found on the internet. He holds multiple degrees in technology education, industrial management, OSHA safety, and driver's education. Okay, so that's the person writing the article. Import as much or as little trust in him as you like. The information I am sharing from this article is the information that was shared in the presentation. So really, the source is irrelevant because what he's saying matches observable reality as reported by Jovan Pulitzer. But let's go through some of this. The conclusion of Pulitzer's work was the 2020 election of Maricopa County should not have been certified as the evidence showed multiple ballot and voting irregularities. Widespread systematic election fraud was the conclusion of Joe Von Pulitzer. The voting machines were said to have added 406,972 predetermined ballot votes, of which over 90 percent were cast for Joe Biden. When all of these illegal predetermined ballots from the algorithm of the machine were removed from the count, 58% were for Trump and 41% were for Biden. Every box of ballots that was to be sealed as evidence had been opened, except for the pre-selected sample ballot boxes, presumably because they had a chain of custody. Pulitzer has a theory that the boxes were illegally opened to make the paper ballots match what the machine said. Some 343,304 voters had their rights violated by the Arizona election officials in violation of the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. One third of these voters were minorities. At least 10% of the paper ballots of Maricopa County were not printed on the proper stock. The 120,867 ballots created a forced adjudication which was 10 times the difference in the election between the two presidential candidates and forced adjudication means that the ballots were prepared in such a way that the machines would read them as error ballots, maybe overvotes or undervotes or the votes were not properly filled into the circles. So they get sent to adjudication where an election worker decides what the voter intended and then feeds it back into the machine. The Dominion machines allow batches of up to 50 votes to be adjudicated at once. So you have 50 votes in the adjudication stack. You take those 50 votes, you put them into the computer, and then you determine what all 50 said. So all 50 were for Joe Biden and this person and that person and that person. And then you process all 50. Now those 50 have new ballot images created for them. That new ballot image is now the official vote, not the actual vote that was then adjudicated. And then those votes are counted as perfect and legal. And we just move right on. 
Jovan went over Sharpie gate. You may remember Sharpie gate. People were making videos of themselves at their polling stations on November 3rd, 2020, saying that they were being told they had to fill in their ballots with a Sharpie. Now the Sharpie is there to bleed through the paper and cause a ballot to go to adjudication. Back to the article. Sharpie pens were demanded to be used, which created bad ballots when used with the inferior printed ballot papers. This was a historic first. This made for bad ballots due to the bleeding. Pulitzer declared this practice a human hack that was planned. Arizona ballots use a color code system. There were too many simple black and white ballots compared to the number of color ballots. In every category of the color management matrix, Arizona's ballots failed the forensic audit. Maricopa County also failed the kinematic voter audit in the fold status of the ballots. The county failed by 1,200% when analyzing the three categories of ballots, machine folds, hand folds, and no folds. And this is relevant when you think about the mail-in ballots being mailed out to voters in an envelope. They have to be folded to be put in that envelope. And so the manner of the fold or whether or not a fold exists says something about the legitimacy of a ballot. You can't have a mail-in ballot that is not folded. It's an immediate signal that something is wrong. Pulitzer reported 11,000 counterfeit ballots. As the video mentioned, there were 235,367 ballots changed after they were cast, which is beyond unusual. Correcting ballots in 2016 was one in a hundred. In 2018, it was two in a hundred. In 2020, it was one in every eight. Two and a half pallets of ballots were changed and the paper ballots were never inspected. We also just heard about the ballot cracking. Some 53,866 ballots were returned by mail as undeliverable. The Maricopa County officials later would report they were destroyed against federal election laws and U.S. postal records. Some 110,092 ballots simply went missing. These Arizona officials cannot prove they were not cast. The Maricopa voter rolls had 10% phantom voters, whereby supposed voters cannot be traced. 2,967 phantom voters were scrubbed from the voter rolls immediately after the election. Maricopa County had 332 phantom voters per precinct. Numerous voters were told that a provisional ballot had been sent to them and returned, and they had already voted when they had not received their ballot and voted. This phenomena of provisional ballots being rejected or gone missing was a civil rights issue as most of these involve minorities and provisional ballots are almost never counted. They can just be thrown out. There's no record of them. It is just yet another way to provide the illusion of legitimacy without there being any actual legitimacy. And people find all of this hard to believe, maybe because they're a bit naive about the extent of moral depravity around them. Maybe they've just excused too much moral depravity in their own lives, in their own friend circles, in their own communities, that they don't think it's their responsibility any longer to actually stand up and say something when you see grave injustice right in front of you. 
but people don't believe that others are capable of doing stuff like this, which seems pretty crazy when you look at what else the communists are capable of doing and have done. They went around the country trying to make sure that parents would be forced to inject their children with an experimental gene therapy. They're keeping the children masked up, even though everyone else has no more mask. They promoted lockdowns that destroyed societies, increased drug and alcohol addiction, domestic abuse, mental illness, suicide, extreme poverty the world over, kept kids out of school. And now they're talking about burning down communities because they're mad about the Supreme Court saying, hey, you know, it's really up to the states to decide their own abortion laws. There's nothing in the Constitution about abortion. Therefore, there cannot be a constitutional right to abortion, which means it goes back to the states. So the states can decide, which means the people can decide. You actually have to argue for your belief and have that passed into law. You know, the way the Constitution is written. They don't care about you. They don't care about your kids. They don't care about your health. They don't care about your life. They don't care about your financial success or instability. They care about status and wealth and power. And each and every person who was involved in the theft of the election or the cover up of the election or the denial of the overwhelming evidence of election fraud are pursuing one of those three ends or they have slipped into a life of complete and total apathy where their entire existence is geared toward figuring out how to be permanently on vacation. But these things do happen. They did happen. And they did not only happen in Arizona. This is the system they employed throughout the country. There are variations everywhere. Maricopa is not the same situation as Fulton County in Georgia or cities like Philadelphia and Milwaukee and Detroit, different systems everywhere. A lot of the same stuff, but variations. What part is always the same? That it's fraud everywhere. They are choosing who represents you. You are not choosing that. And again, because I have to do this every Wednesday, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm especially not saying don't vote in November at the end of June, everybody should have a plan to go vote. But I am saying that as we celebrate MAGA wins in these primaries, when and where we get them, let's not lose sight of the fact that there is no guarantee the outcome of our victories is any more legitimate than the outcome of our losses. Being able to rack up some MAGA victories does not say anything about the legitimacy and the lack of fraud and manipulation in those elections. So let's switch subjects to the slave trade that Joe Biden is running at the southern border. Joe Biden is the human trafficker in chief. And this is from Friday in the Washington Examiner. Biden administration quietly erasing immigration court caseload de facto amnesty. Federal prosecutors are quietly dismissing stacks of cases against illegal immigrants under a Biden administration mandate that could be on pace 
to effectively pardon one million people by 2024, according to leaked information reviewed by the Washington Examiner. Attorneys for U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement have begun to throw out tens of thousands of the two million backlogged cases in immigration court following a political appointee's order not to go after illegal border crossers from before the November 2020 election. This is a de facto amnesty, said an ICE federal prosecutor who spoke with the Washington Examiner on the condition of anonymity. The Washington Examiner obtained leaked video recordings of virtual meetings that Kerry Doyle, ICE's principal legal advisor, held with more than 1,200 ICE prosecutors who bring cases against illegal immigrants nationwide, in which she explained in detail who should not be targeted for deportation. Illegal immigrants identified as national security and public safety threats, or those who had crossed the border illegally after November 1st, 2020, would be the only cases ICE would pursue. All others would be dropped. As the memo explains, I think pretty clearly, we've put our thumbs sort of heavily in favor of dismissal and durable solutions, Doyle told her workforce in a private town hall meeting on April 14th. Even if you've spent a lot of time on the case, if it's a non-priority, you should be moving to offer prosecutorial discretion in that case. Doyle's mandate to close out cases took effect on April 25th. An indicator of how quickly ICE has moved is the number of cases wiped out in those two months. Between 60,000 and 80,000 cases have been closed, according to the ICE attorney. The total case closures since the start of fiscal year 2022 last October is more than 97,000, according to data from the Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, a research organization at Syracuse University in New York. Case closures eight months into 2022 are already up fourfold from all of 2021, another sign of how quickly ICE prosecutors are moving to clear the books. And so we've talked a number of times about how illegal immigrants often don't return for their court dates anyway. And the illegitimate Biden administration, as part of its slave trade, its human trafficking operation, is now making it so that they never have to. They're just getting rid of the court cases altogether. They're saying, OK, you came here illegally. We have a process that demands you return to court so that they can adjudicate your asylum claim. But now we're going to forego that process because we've decided that there is a certain group of illegal immigrants who aren't worth prosecuting. Their illegal immigration is just fine. The only cases they now intend to pursue are illegal immigrants identified as national security and public safety threats or those who crossed the border illegally after November 1st, 2020. Those are the only cases they're going to continue to pursue. All others will be dropped. And the key word in there is identified as national security or public safety threats, as if somehow their record of those is perfect. And I'm not even blaming ICE necessarily for that. The policies are the problem and the enforcement of those policies are the problem. There is no way to get that system perfect, I imagine, at least not with this many illegal immigrants coming through in this many different places and many of them evading capture at every point. But allowing national security and public safety threats into the country is a pretty significant problem. And it's a problem that's exacerbated, as I just said, by the sheer number of illegal immigrants crossing. 
the fact that our policies are set up and being executed in such a way that allows that problem to exist, well, that is a complete and total breakdown of the executive branch's duty to protect the nation. And of course, the illegitimate president, Joe Biden, could not care less about that problem, A, because he has no idea what's going on, and B, because he and the movement he represents do not care about borders. Your life as an American is no more valuable to the American government than the lives of illegal immigrants who are currently being shipped to America to be exploited for their labor and their political power. And if you're the sort of American that cares about America and is a political dissident, is resistant to the illegitimate administration, your life is actually worth less than that illegal immigrant because that illegal immigrant is going to come here and be part of the system that they are trying to institute. That is providing value to them, whereas your disagreement with the regime makes you a net loss. They would literally rather have the illegal immigrant in America than you. And I'm not just saying that to white people. I'm saying it to all Americans, white, black, brown, Asian, whatever we want to do with skin color. The people currently holding illegitimate power in this country prefer the illegal immigrant to Americans of all races. Also from the Washington Examiner on Sunday, Biden administration signs five-year contract to house migrant children in North Carolina neighborhood. The Biden administration will begin housing unaccompanied migrant children smuggled by cartels across the southern border in a North Carolina community. The Washington Examiner has learned potentially thousands of parentless children will be detained at an abandoned school campus within a middle class neighborhood in Greensboro, North Carolina, before the children are released to sponsors across the country. The government is hiring 800 workers to staff the facility. The American Hebrew Academy said in a statement, an indication of just how wide scale the operation will become in the next few weeks. The children are slated to begin arriving in Greensboro as early as next weekend for what could be a massive long-term undertaking by the Biden administration to detain immigrant children away from the border. The campus is located behind a Target store and directly across the street from a large residential neighborhood. It was made perfectly for the situation, Guilford County Commission Chairman Skip Alston told KFMY. We are dealing with children. That's what we have to look into. These children didn't ask to be put in those positions. Unfortunately, parents put them in those positions. And that is not exactly a great perspective on what's actually happening in the immigration system, but okay. The Office of Refugee Resettlement, a program of the Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families, quietly signed a five-year contract with the American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro this month, allowing the federal government to take over the campus into 2027. The Washington Examiner had reported in May 2021 of the Biden administration's plans to use the school campus to house children. In a House hearing on May 12, 2021, Representative Richard Hudson asked HHS Secretary Javier Becerra if the government had sent or was planning to send unaccompanied migrant children from the border to North Carolina. There is no plan that we have to shelter children in North Carolina, Becerra said at the time. 
We are always looking for sites to provide the type of safety and security that children need, and we have sites throughout the country, but there is no plan that we can tell you to shelter children in North Carolina, and that has proven to be a lie. Lawmakers from across the state balked at the development, stating in a letter to Becerra and ACF Acting Director Andrea Chapman Thursday that they had not been made aware of the deal until now. And the article goes on, but I do want to read one last paragraph. The 100-acre Hebrew school campus opened in 2001 to educate Jewish high school students. It ceased operations in 2019. Its campus includes 16 dormitory buildings, 35 residential staff apartments, and an $18 million athletic center that features rock climbing walls, basketball courts, and an eight-lane swimming pool. And I have seen various reports that they are planning to spend $42,000 per child who will be imprisoned there. I mean, living there. So we now have a camp for illegal immigrant children right in the middle of a residential neighborhood. Now, you can't imagine that too many of those children probably came across with IDs. They generally have no idea who these children are. So what level of accountability do you think the system might hold for children who are broadly unidentified and unidentifiable? We are being told that this is compassionate, that it will help the local community and the local economy. But this seems pretty clearly to be a recipe for disaster. And none of that is to mention that these kids simply should not be in the country in the first place. A system that incentivizes human trafficking and the smuggling of children illegally into a country is not at any point compassionate. And it has absolutely nothing to do with how they were living prior. This is a disgrace and it has all the makings of the sort of situation that in a few years we will see as nothing more than a heinous crime against children and perhaps against humanity. And by the way, who are the sponsors in this country who are going to take these kids out of these centers? They'll just be bounced from communist organization to communist organization and then hopefully into the workforce for a low wage job likely after being educated into communism by the people overseeing them in this immigrant camp. Now, changing subjects without a segue, the January 6th committee took over the news cycle for a day, mostly due to their incompetence and illegitimacy, which is being continually exposed. But regardless, having the January 6th committee be the main subject in the news for any amount of time is a distraction from all of the other things going on. One of them was that Ghislaine Maxwell was sentenced yesterday to 20 years in prison. And that story is still developing. There are murmurs of potentially a third co-conspirator, someone beyond Epstein and Maxwell. There are hints and thoughts that that might be Rachel Chandler, and we will see if her name pops back into the news and this story begins a new life altogether. But we should certainly have our eyes on that. So anyway, the Democrats said they had this big star witness, this surprise. They scheduled a new episode of the final season of the January 6th, very violent insurrection extravaganza. 
And they brought on their star witness, a woman named Cassidy Hutchinson, who was a staffer for Mark Meadows at the Trump White House. Meadows was the chief of staff for Donald Trump during that period, that post-election period. And Hutchinson was a low-level staffer. She wanted to continue with Trump down to Mar-a-Lago and continue working for the Trump organization. Donald Trump declined and did not bring her along. And the Democrats, the communists, put her up to finally produce that silver bullet that would take Donald Trump out. Now, the story she relayed was a preposterous one. One part of it was about Donald Trump getting very angry and throwing a plate of food at the wall. And she said that she came in and was cleaning ketchup off the wall or something that Donald Trump was in the beast limousine coming back from his speech toward the Capitol. And he wanted to get out and join the protesters. And when he was told he wouldn't be allowed to do that, he jumped toward the driver and grabbed him by his clavicle and reached for the steering wheel so that he could turn himself around and a team his way into the mix. He wanted to go out there with his people as they all rose up in very violent insurrection against the government, trying to overturn the results of the freest and fairest and safest and most secure election of all time. He wanted the people all armed. He didn't care that they had weapons because they weren't there to harm him. And she said she wrote down some handwritten note. These are all big claims that the media has gone head over heels over. And it turns out that none of them were true. The person who actually wrote the note came out and said, no, I wrote that note. She did not. The Secret Service agents mentioned as the ones Donald Trump tried to attack said that never happened. Not only that is not possible for that to have happened because there is a bulletproof glass shield between the driver and the back of the car. And all of this began to come out immediately after she said all these things before the January 6th committee. And of course, if this was a legitimate committee, there would have been Republicans there to ask her questions and challenge the things she was saying. And if that happened, Everything she was saying would have fallen apart in real time. That's why there are no Republicans there. Beyond that, she wasn't even talking about things she had personal experience with. She was relaying what she was told by someone else. But that didn't stop the media from trying to further distort reality for the child brains remaining in their audience. Dan Rather went on a tweet spree yesterday. He said the biggest scandal in American political history, and that's saying a lot, jaw dropping, sickening, infuriating. Dan Rather, this is an old school newsman who we're told has gravitas. I mean, yes, he was disgraced for creating fake news in 2004, but now we pretend that that was just a minor faux pas and that he didn't really mean it. He still has all the gravitas. He just made a small mistake. But he goes on just noting that crime families are often brought down by someone they overlooked. I've heard a lot of people say, let's throw everything against the wall and see what sticks, albeit in a slightly different context and usually not involving ketchup. Remember, Trump was impeached twice. It should have never gotten to this point. So Dan rather believes that 
either one of those two impeachments, the one that happened while Trump, quote unquote, was president and the one that happened while Trump, quote unquote, was not president, both of which were illegitimate cover up operations for things the Democrats were actually doing. Yes, the Democrats are the ones with corrupt dealings in Ukraine. Trump and Rudy Giuliani were trying to uncover those. Trump had uncovered those and how they related to the server from the DNC. And so the Ukraine impeachment was launched and then they launched an impeachment over Trump's incitement of the very violent insurrection, the thing that they are still trying to legitimize and prove in some way, even though it is a total and complete farce. Dan Rather said he was shaken by what he had seen. It appears that violence wasn't a byproduct. It was an intended feature. Oh, yes. The cowardice of all who knew and remained silent, dot, dot, dot. Yes. How? How will we go on knowing that so many people refused to condemn Trump just because he didn't actually do the thing other people were condemning him for? Those bastards. Has Mark Meadows flipped or is he about to just asking? Today's suddenly scheduled hearing may give us some information. Let's see. Dan Rather? What is that? Is that speculation? What is that? Sounds like a uh, sounds like a conspiracy theory. That's some kind of conspiracy making claim right there. What does he mean by let's see? What does he mean by proposing that Mark Meadows may have flipped? Does he have evidence or is that a baseless claim? Is he about to flip? Just asking. I'm just asking questions. Oh, it's not a conspiracy theory because someone on their side proposed a series of questions and a series of possible outcomes that may or may not come to pass. Someone should alert Instagram about this. Mark Meadows may have more exposure than a nudist swimming in an aquarium tank. Oh, wow. God, Dan Rather with the jokes, huh? The uh, the throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks and it might be ketchup. <laughs> what a joke. Oh, man. And this uh, this nudist <laughs> swimming around in an aquarium tank. Man, what hilarious imagery. Can't believe this guy's not still on television. And of course, in the aftermath of all this, all the big articles come out talking about how this is the most important thing that ever happened. Her testimony is going to be talked about in the history books. I saw some communist tweet about how we'll all remember where we were when Cassidy Hutchinson was testifying before the January 6th committee, which I mean is utterly absurd. No one is going to remember this at all, except as maybe the moment when the television show completely jumped the shark. Massive claims based only on hearsay. The illegitimate January 6th committee talks about how all of this is the most impactful evidence, the most impactful testimony they ever could have possibly witnessed. The media gets their back. And within 12 hours, the entire story has fallen apart on multiple levels multiple factual levels, stuff that is provable in empirical reality to the point where even the communists who witness it will have to say, oh, yeah, that's just uh, that's totally wrong. 
So you're saying that there was a bulletproof shield between the driver and Trump. And she's saying that Trump still lunged for the steering wheel through the bulletproof glass. All right. Well, how does that work? That's the real question. And that's only one of the problems. There was this article from today in MSNBC. It actually linked from Real Clear Politics on Real Clear Politics. The headline was Dems found their star witness. She delivered. But when you click over to the article, it's got a different headline now. Now the headline is why Cassidy Hutchinson's January 6th testimony blew the roof off Trump's defense. Now, that is a weird framing because Trump does not have a defense, right? There is no other side in the January 6th committee. There is no defense of Trump being presented and and they're not even allowed to present a defense. That is literally no part of this hearing. But beyond that, Trump doesn't need to make a defense. So blowing the lid off Trump's defense, well, that doesn't mean anything. But the reason Trump doesn't need to make a defense is because he's not charged with anything and all the stories are false. We are more than happy to provide Trump a defense because he didn't do any of the things the committee is accusing him of doing. But a bunch of over-the-top, absurd, and false claims don't actually harm our ability to do that. They just waste our time. And then there is this brilliant piece from The New Yorker. Now, remember, The New Yorker used to be one of, if not the most prestigious literary magazines in the United States of America. Being able to publish a short story or poetry in The New Yorker was something that writers could hang their hats on. That was a mark of success, a mark of accomplishment that such an esteemed literary outlet would publish your work. Now it's a clearinghouse for subliterate propaganda. And the subliterate I'm referring to right now is a man by the name of John Cassidy. This is his headline from yesterday. Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony should be the end of Donald Trump. You got that? The walls are closing in. The silver bullet is finally here. And it comes in the form of a low-level staffer who is communicating hearsay. On Tuesday morning, Hunter Biden started trending on social media, a surefire sign that the right was worried about the upcoming testimony of the former Trump White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson, which was scheduled to begin at 1 p.m. Now, we already have to stop right there because that is utterly preposterous. They are claiming that the right in some coordinated fashion is able to manipulate trending topics on Twitter. It's not that the Hunter Biden news is important to people in the country and they're talking about it, especially now because the media and the big tech platforms actually hid it from the American public in 2020. That actually was a concerted effort for manipulation. And now the stories are just beginning to roll out about Hunter Biden. The country is finally learning what many of us understood two years ago, that Hunter Biden was doing business on his father's behalf around the world, selling political influence to the highest bidder, including to our most powerful foreign adversaries, 
Joe Biden has a career of selling the interests of his constituents and the American people to foreign adversaries. That is a fact. Joe Biden is one of the most corrupt politicians in American history and certainly among the most compromised. And that has been ignored. And we are being told by this New Yorker writer that the right has captured the ability to set the trending topics on Twitter and that we all did so in order to cover up Hunter Biden stories. And I will give this man the benefit of the doubt that he is not lying, which only leaves us the option that he is stupid and has no ability to observe empirical reality. He is completely detached from reality. Although the 26-year-old Hutchinson, who worked for Mark Meadows, Trump's chief of staff, wasn't yet a public figure, it was known that she had spoken extensively to the January 6th committee, and there had even been stories suggesting she could turn out to be the John Dean of the Trump administration. Well, John Dean's a liar, so. In fact, there were no historical precedents for the testimony that Hutchinson delivered in an astonishing two hours of television after Benny Thompson, the Democratic co-chair of the committee, swore her in. Answering questions from the co-chair, the Republican Liz Cheney, Hutchinson calmly described an utterly unhinged president who, on January 6th, was so determined to join his supporters, many of them armed and, he knew well, intent on causing trouble in their march on Capitol Hill, that he tried to grab the steering wheel of his presidential SUV yelling, I'm the fucking president. Take me to the Capitol now. <laughs> Can you imagine believing this? It's unbelievable. And by the way, authorities have recovered zero, zero guns from the protesters at the Capitol on January 6th. Zero, not any. Okay, not any, but we are told they were armed with flagpoles and sticks. Ooh, so dangerous. When the head of his Secret Service detail grabbed his arm and ordered Trump to return to the White House, he allegedly lunged at the agent's throat. On Wednesday night, several news organizations quoting anonymous sources reported that the agents who were with Trump disputed that he had grabbed the steering wheel or lunged at the agent. And by the way, that was Tuesday night. But hey, it's The New Yorker. A Secret Service spokesman told The New Yorker that the agents would respond on the record to the House committee regarding the incident. And this was inserted in the article as a parenthetical because they had to update the article after it came out that she was lying about all of this. And that became clear throughout the afternoon regarding the story with the car. And then NBC News's Peter Alexander tweeted this a little after 6 p.m. yesterday. A source close to the Secret Service tells me both Bobby Engel, the lead agent, and the presidential limousine SUV driver are prepared to testify under oath that neither man was assaulted and that Mr. Trump never lunged for the steering wheel. So who should we believe? The low-level Mark Meadows staffer who was communicating hearsay or the Secret Service agent that was there? Man, tough call. Imagine what it must be like to trade on the New Yorker's former prestige and think that you have this incredible job doing very important work writing about politics for the New Yorker. You 
launch into this tirade about how Trump is finally going down. And within hours of publishing, your entire viewpoint is destroyed, but you have to leave it up anyway. And here's some more updated section. Regardless of this detail, Hutchinson's testimony appeared to strengthen the criminal case against Trump. So throw out one huge part of her testimony, but the rest of it still strengthens a criminal case against Trump. There is no criminal case and there are no criminal charges in the offing. The committee can't deliver criminal charges. One of her revelations was that a few days before January 6th, Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel, had explicitly warned that if Trump did go to Capitol Hill on January 6th, he could potentially be implicated in the crimes of, ex- of obstructing justice and obstructing the electoral count. This would be legally a terrible idea for us. Hutchinson recounted Cipollone saying, does she have access to Cipollone saying that? Who knows? Someone told her that Cipollone said that, and she told the committee, and now prestigious writers pass her hearsay on to the American public as the silver bullet that will finally take down Trump. She also testified that on January 5th, Trump told Meadows to speak with Michael Flynn and Roger Stone, two Trump loyalists who were part of a war room at the Willard Hotel. After initially trying to meet Flynn and Stone in person, Hutchinson said Meadows then spoke with them by phone. Hutchinson also recalled how days earlier Meadows had said to her things might get real, real bad on January 6th. Good Lord. It will be up to Merrick Garland to decide whether this adds up to a winnable case against Trump on charges of obstruction, incitement or another offense. And the pressure is growing on him to act. There is no doubt in my mind that Trump was involved in criminal activity. Representative Elaine Luria one of the Democratic members of the January 6th committee, told CNN after the hearing. Summing up what the evidence at each hearing is making ever more difficult to deny, Luria described the events of that day as a, quote, conspiracy, a failed coup, essentially. And I guess we just have to accept all that is true. As ever, the challenge to prosecutors would be proving that the former president had criminal intent in a case where he would insist that he sincerely believed the 2020 election had been stolen. Regardless of the legal obstacles to convicting Trump, however, Hutchinson's testimony reconfirmed in perhaps the most graphic way yet that he must never again be allowed anywhere near power. <laughs> a story that has been completely, completely disproven in only hours reconfirms for people dumb enough to believe it in the first place that Trump should never be anywhere near power ever again. He's so threatening. And they say this with Joe Biden in the office of fake president. If Dean White House counsel to the Nixon administration in his June 1973 testimony to the Senate Watergate committee provided firsthand evidence that Richard Nixon was a scheming, lying cover-up artist, Hutchinson provided an inside the West Wing confirmation that Trump isn't fit to lead a support group for reformed rageaholics, let alone lead the country. The idea of the nuclear codes being handed back to him is surely now unthinkable, <laughs> except for the fact that if he runs again, he'll just be elected again, and he will be the duly elected president of the United States of America like he is now, and he would have the nuclear codes. It really doesn't matter at all if communists who work for the New Yorker find that unthinkable. 
When Trump reached the ellipse on the morning of January 6th, Hutchinson observed that he was fucking furious that the relatively small crowd inside the secure area would look bad on television. In a tape of her previous testimony to the committee's investigators, Hutchinson expanded on Trump's mindset. He was furious about the mags, magnetic metal detectors. He was angry we weren't letting people through the mags with weapons. Now, there is absolutely no way that's true. And the crowd was massive. Again, nothing being communicated here is actually true in a verifiable empirical reality. And of course, that's why there's no proof of any of these claims. She is literally repeating what she heard, and it is being accepted as fact. Hutchinson said that Trump demanded the Secret Service take down the checkpoints and let his supporters in with their weapons. She recounted how another White House staffer, Anthony Ornato, one of Meadows' deputies, explained to Trump that the reason many of his supporters didn't want to go through the checkpoints was that they wanted to go straight from the speech to the Capitol and have with them their arms, which included AR-15 rifles and Glock pistols. Trump seemed unconcerned. Hutchinson recounted him saying, I don't effing care that they have weapons. They aren't here to hurt me. Take those effing mags away. Again, that just simply didn't happen and wouldn't have happened. The only world where you could even believe that as a possibility is one where you have already decided that Trump is dangerous and trying to stage a coup and promotes violence on his side. Well, if everybody, if all Trump supporters are that dumb and that violent, if they're who they're made out to be, why didn't they do it? Why is this question never asked? The prejudices are just allowed to stand despite the fact that there is no proof for them whatsoever. It's like the mask thing. If masks work, why didn't they? If Trump supporters are violent, if Trump supporters were armed, why wasn't there more violence? Why weren't any guns recovered? Why did they all go home when Trump asked them to? During his speech, Trump told his supporters he would march with them to the hill. After he finished and got into an armored black SUV, Hutchinson took up what happened as it was recounted to her a bit later in the day by Ornato. The head of Trump's security detail, Bobby Engel, told him they couldn't go to the Capitol because the Secret Service didn't have sufficient resources to guarantee his safety. It was then that Trump demanded to be driven to the hill and reached for the steering wheel. Sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol, Engel informed Trump, according to Hutchinson. She went on. Trump then used his free hand to lunge toward Engel. And when Mr. Ornato recounted the story to me, he motioned to his clavicles. In a statement on his social media platform, Trump dismissed Hutchinson's testimony as fake, sick and fraudulent. That was true to form. Hutchinson is far more believable. She said Engel was in the room when Ornato told her the story about the altercation in the presidential vehicle and apparently didn't correct or disagree with any of it, which makes it true. She also recounted Trump exhibiting out of control rage on other occasions, including in December 2020, when he learned that his attorney general, Bill Barr, had publicly dismissed his claims of election fraud. Hutchinson, whose West Wing office was down a short hall from the Oval Office and the president's dining room, recalled how she heard a loud noise and went to investigate. I first noticed there was ketchup dripping down the wall and there was a shattered porcelain plate, she said. 
The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the attorney general's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall, which was causing them to have to clean up. So I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off the wall to help the valet out. That was the reaction of a normal person. Trump, as we all know, and as Hutchinson's historic testimony has vividly reconfirmed, is not nearly normal. If this doesn't finish him, what will? Well, New Yorker writer, you nailed the end of it. If this doesn't finish him, what will? Well, nothing. And this won't finish him because all of this is nonsense. And the Secret Service has made it clear that the agents will be available to testify before the January 6th committee. And when they do that, what is going to happen to Hutchinson's nonsense testimony that has already been completely debunked? And I mean, in a real way, with source information, her actual claims, which are already only hearsay, were disproven within hours. And these people are going to stick with it. And remember that when he writes, if this doesn't finish Trump, what will? Again, nothing. Now let's go to the next level. If you are familiar with the series I wrote on Substack, who is at Q, then you will have some background into what I would now like to discuss. If you saw the episode of Liberty Den the other night with myself and Patel Patriot and Patrick Gunnels and Richard the Saint and Kate Awakening, you'll have some background there too. If you have not done either of those things, then I will try to handle that part of this discussion as quickly as possible. Q, the Q, or a different version of Q, began posting again Friday evening as we were all doing that live stream. And those posts were the first in 19 months. Q has continued to post since then. And there was a post at 3.23 in the morning today about the Cassidy Hutchinson business. Now, I'm not intending to make my podcast a Q podcast where I analyze each and every Q post. I'm not the person for that. There are people with more full knowledge on what's in the Q posts. I've said many times I have not read them all and they are much more accustomed to analyzing the posts. Now, you can think all of it is silly. I am not here to convince you otherwise. In fact, I've said this many times, but probably not in a while. I'm not here to convince anyone that I am right. I am here to convince you that the media is wrong and because they are intentionally trying to mislead you. That is their job. They are a propaganda state media. Their job is to convince you of things that simply are not true until they have convinced you of an entirely false reality so that no matter what they tell you, you will believe that somehow it must make sense. What I want to convince you of is that that is a very bad way to inform yourself about important issues in the world and you need to begin thinking for yourself. I also want to convince you that the media's narrative about QAnon is completely and totally false. They use QAnon as a boogeyman. Once they have properly slandered the QAnon boogeyman, then anything that they call QAnon becomes something that only the bad people believe in. All the QAnons believe X. 
And they did this with vaccines. They do it with claims of election fraud, stuff that actual experts are saying becomes a conspiracy theory because the media labels those claims QAnon. That's what the boogeyman exists for. There is no QAnon conspiracy theory. There are the posts and there are the conclusions that people reach from reading the posts. Not all those conclusions are going to be true. Some people believe things other people don't believe. It's just information among other information. The most important thing is to stop pretending that all of these people are stupid or that they're violent or that they're hateful. I've said many times, I believe that the Q information phenomenon may be the most important information phenomenon in the history of the world. It's got nothing to do with the content of people's beliefs. It has to do with the results and the impact of the information phenomenon. It created a new way for information to be spread and analyzed. That happened in the real world. It is real. It is important. And you can tell because the media has spent five years trying to constantly discredit it because it is real and important. That means it must be understood. And we have now been provided a perfect example of why that's true. So that's what I would like to share with you. Now, people have been commenting that this cue does not sound like the old cue. And they have a point. This cue seems more plain spoken, less mysterious, less coded. Does that mean someone else is posting as Q? Maybe. If someone else is posting as Q, is it someone from the good side or from the bad side? Well, we don't know. All of these things are part of the unknown, and we accept those as we analyze the information that we do have. So here is the post from last night, post 4958. What is at stake? Who has control? Surprise witness. Who was surprised? Who will be surprised? Use your logic. Can emotions be used to influence decisions? How do you control emotion? Define plant. How do you insert a plant? Can emotions be used to insert a plant? Who is Cassidy Hutchinson? Trust the plan. Q. Now you can look at that and see that as a simple series of questions that a lot of people are already thinking and you can ignore it. You could say, why do I need a Q post to tell me that? And the truth is that you don't, you can analyze this situation on your own for yourself and think of possible outcomes. Think of possible explanations for the situation as it exists in the real world. This is just information among other information, take it or leave it. But the community that follows Q does not take these posts in this way. They take the posts and they use them to direct further and deeper research into the events surrounding Cassidy Hutchinson, into the situation in a broader context. And one of the people who has been doing this since I understand the beginning is an account that goes by Julian's Rum. And this morning, he pointed out that Cassidy Hutchinson's lawyer is a man named Jody Hunt. Jody Hunt worked as Jeff Sessions, chief of staff. Sessions was the original attorney general under Donald Trump. He recused himself during Russiagate. And a lot of people were very upset about that. 
And Trump was either very upset about it or at least communicated that he was. And as you might imagine, just based on the chronology, Jeff Sessions was mentioned in a whole range of Q posts. He has always been someone to watch. Julian's rum posted on Truth Social. In a nutshell, Hutchinson was bait. The January 6th committee quickly jumped at the opportunity to have her testify as a witness, but she changed lawyers last minute. Her new lawyer, Jody Hunt, was Sessions' former chief of staff. He played a similar role in the past as a witness for the failed Mueller investigation. It's likely Hutchinson and Hunt were both planted into the J6 hearings by White Hats to inject evidence that not only disproves her hearsay testimony, but leads to bigger revelations. Now, again, think of that what you will. Take all of it with a grain of salt. It is only information among other information. But Jody Hunt tweeted this last night. Miss Hutchinson testified under oath and recounted what she was told. Those with knowledge of the episode should also testify under oath. So her lawyer made it very clear that she was recounting what she was told. It is hearsay. Someone told her something. She is telling the committee what someone told her. Now let's give her the benefit of the doubt for a second. Maybe she is honestly recounting what she was told. And in that case, the question becomes, who told her all these things? Was there someone at the White House planting this false story? That's entirely possible because we know that there were a lot of backstabbers still in the higher levels of the Trump administration during this time. But what's important here is the deeper analysis of the information and the fact that that deeper analysis was sparked by a Q post. Someone obviously could have found this information and had these thoughts outside of the presence of the Q post. I'm not denying that in any way. The point I'm making is that the Q post targeted this community of researchers toward finding out the answers to those questions. And it's possible that the answers to those questions matter quite a lot. So it's good that there is a community of expert researchers with a wide knowledge base concerning exactly these issues present on demand to analyze these issues and increase the collective knowledge base. And that is exactly what that Q post enabled. We cannot say right now whether or not that analysis is correct. If you think it's silly because it came from a Q post, that's just fine. Go on thinking that again. I'm not trying to convince you, but if you see in a few days or a few weeks or a couple of months, even that Jody Hunt's name is popping up, or we find out that the January 6th committee expected Cassidy Hutchinson to testify in a much different way, then that would be a credit to the community of Q followers who have analyzed this situation. And while that doesn't say anything about whether or not Q as a whole should be believed or that you should believe every insight that Julian's rum has at face value, it does tell you that he just took that information, among other information, and expanded the knowledge base. 
That is the importance of the information phenomenon. And that is one of the operating theses of that series I wrote about at Q's return on Truth Social. So ignore it if you like. Make fun of it if that makes you feel smart. There's certainly nothing else productive about it. People are constantly concerned trolling that somehow these researchers don't have time to focus on the important issues because they're just staring at pictures of cues on their wall all day. But you can see in real time that that is not what's happening. The knowledge base is being expanded across an entire range of issues all the time. And a lot of that comes directly from this community. So what about that deserves all of the derision and disrespect that is constantly launched at these people? They're not saying they're definitely right. They're just giving us more ideas to consider more information among the rest of the information. They're expanding the knowledge base. With that expanded knowledge base, we can think about a wider variety of things. We have more puzzle pieces to see whether or not they are part of this puzzle and where they fit. That is actually a critical function in being able to discern truth in this current information environment. And it cannot and should not be ignored by intelligent people. You don't seem smarter for making fun of Q. Unless your audience is a bunch of edgy midwits who still have their Twitter accounts. And if you're still on board with the Mike Cernoviches of the world, if those are the sources of your cutting edge information, then you're doing information wrong. And so many people in our country are doing information wrong. It is always better to consider every plausible potential future when making important decisions and analyzing important situations. Jody Hunt may not matter at all, but the fact that he might matter and now we are able to consider it is a benefit to our ability to properly discern truth about an important situation. And that is what actually matters. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. 
If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!